and make your way to John 3, and I'll just join you in one moment. Uh, but before we jump into things, I want to share um, about the mission team and what we did in Ecuador this past week. Uh, Pastor Mike asked me to share. Um, so we were supposed to leave um, Jacksonville at 3 p.m. last Saturday. That didn't happen. Before we even left the house, um, I get a text message, like, Pastor Micah, I've been the youth pastor here like five years. I've never gotten so many phone calls in one day from Pastor Micah than I did that day. So um, we get delayed because of uh, mechanic issues, um, maintenance issues, no big deal there. Um, I'd rather there be engine problems on the ground than in the sky, so praise the Lord for that. Um, so we're still at home, not a problem. Then it gets pushed back again, then it gets pushed back again, and we finally show up at the airport around 4. Uh, we were supposed to leave at 3. Okay. Now, we get through everything. I, I think our next flight was supposed to leave at 6.30. Um, that gets pushed back, and now we start to have these seeds of doubt that, hey, this trip may not happen. Like, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of delays here. We, we, get, we get, get through TSA. We grab dinner. We find out it's delayed yet again. You know, we're praying, Lord, let your will be done. Um, but just because it's the Lord's will doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Okay, we got to understand that, that the, being in the Lord's will isn't always easy, but it's always right. So our flight is going to be pushed back to 819, roughly, I think. It, all the days kind of blend together. Um, so we get there. Then uh, right when about 8 o'clock, they cancel our flight. Thanks, American Airlines. So we think the trip is over. We think it's time to grab our bags, go home, try again next year. Um, however, like we even thought about driving from Jacksonville to Miami, but the cheapest rental we could find in Jacksonville was $600. I was like, I don't think so, Scooter. Like, that's, that's insane. Luckily, they put us on one more flight. They put us on a 930 that they created. We didn't know it existed. So we board the plane. We fly into Miami. We land at 10. 40. And by we, I mean Pastor Micah, Morgan, Malachi, and myself. Obviously, we miss our connecting flight to Ecuador, so we got to deal with guest services. Guest services look like a Walt Disney World line. Okay? We were in that line for three hours. Our new flight to Ecuador was, I think, like 7.30, 8 o'clock. We get to our hotel at 2 a.m. I'm like, okay, we can get a few hours of sleep now. The problem is those people that were in front of us at guest services were now in front of us at the hotel room. So we had to wait in the lobby while one gentleman checked everyone in. So an hour later, we're finally in rooms asleep. We get three hours. We head back to the airport. So that's fun. We have no problems getting to Ecuador. We're tired. We arrive. We go to get our luggage. Not all of our luggage makes it. Now, right? Praise the Lord, it wasn't mine. All right? <laughs> And thankfully, it wasn't Micah's or Morgan's, and it was Malachi's. And, well, and I, unfortunately, all the craft that we had prepared for the kids of Ecuador was in that bag. But Malachi was a champ through it all. Like, that boy did not complain one single time. Like, he had two outfits. Um, the lady at the hotel in um, Montanita washed all his clothes. Um, we got him two pair of shorts. Uh, Gary and Dina Pate gave him two of the... Uh, Pate ministry shirts. He was good to go. He was fine. He was a champ. Um, 
But we finally get there, and it's about a three-hour drive from the airport to Montanito. Um, we have two kids' clubs the next day. Like, we have to go to various locations set up. Um, the first club had over 100 kids in it. We're sharing what the Ten Commandments are because these kids have no biblical background whatsoever. Like, we know John 3.16. They don't know John 3.16. They don't have any biblical background in this area. But one of the things that Pastor Micah and Morgan get the bright idea to do is they're going to demonstrate using me um, how we hold on to God. Okay, so they call two, like I was like, make sure it's two little kids. But they're going to put a kid on this arm and a kid on that arm and have them hang off me. Okay, so that's fun. I'm swinging them around. I'm trying to get them off me. Um, and it's to show that we can't hold on to God. And then at the end, they have me, Mike, Pastor Micah has me pick them up, and but that God hold up, holds on to us. So I guess it pays to work out every once in a while. The Bible does say there's some benefit to it. Uh, and the kids really loved that. And then afterwards, Morgan would ask questions, and they paid really close attention because you get candy if you get it right, so they all wanted candy. Um, then we would hand out a craft. Luckily, Dina was able to prepare a craft with the Ten Commandments, um, and we talked about it. We talked about, Pastor Micah talked about how it all pointed back to, to Jesus, how Jesus, you know, fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Um, he fulfills the law. Then the second day, this was pretty cool. We, we go into Montanita, and Montanita is a very poor area, very poor area. And we are walking through the streets handing out flyers for a movie that um, Pape Ministry is going to be showing because there's no movie theater in Montanita. There's, it's like an hour away is the closest one. So a lot of these people... I've never seen a large screen television. Um, so we're walking around handing out flyers for Finding Nemo. He's going to give popcorn. He's going to give juice. He's going to give the gospel message afterwards. And this is all to bring in excitement because starting uh, this upcoming week, he's going to start the Chosen series, which is, um, was a crowdfunded series about the life of Jesus. It's really well done. Um, if you have not get the, haven't got the chance to watch it, I would recommend it. Um, but we're going through the streets, and I, I don't know Spanish. Like, I know hola, all right? Like, but Gary told me this phrase, and the Ecuadorians love it. It's called ingratis. means it's free. So you hand them to them. You say, hola, ingratis, and they take their card. And then um, we had about 100 and right at 100 people show up uh, for the movie. And then they heard, and a lot of them's never heard the gospel before, and they heard the gospel message. So praise the Lord for that. Wednesday, we were not able to do any kids' clubs, and it was the one day that had sun, so that was kind of awesome, uh, because the roads were blocked by strikers. Um, there's strikes going all throughout Ecuador right now because the Ecuadorian government is subsidizing uh, gas prices right now, and that's about to come to an end. Um, gas is a little over $2 there right now. Uh, a year ago, it was closer to a dollar, um, but it's about to jump up another dollar, and people can't afford that over there. Only, uh, Gary said only about 20% of Ecuadorians over there have any money. Uh, the other 80% live day to day, um, and they don't have anything. Um, but we were able to do various odd jobs for the Pape Ministry office. Um, Thursday, we did three different clubs. We um, did a spontaneous one at a school with 160 kids. Um, that was uh, really awesome. That was a great experience. And we handed out Bibles to all the women who came to the kids' clubs which was uh, really awesome because they paid such close attention to the Bible lesson. But, but 
because of the strikers, they were supposed to end on Wednesday, but uh, the Ecuadorian government thought it'd be a good idea to arrest their leader. So the strikers continued on. Um, so that Thursday night, we drive back to Guayaquil, which is where the airport is, because we're not getting stuck in Ecuador, because um, the strikes go on from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., because they're never in a hurry, um, and they don't want to stay up too late. So they tell the government where and when and where they're going to strike so the people can prepare. So we let, let's go to the Holiday Inn, okay? So uh, we get to the Holiday Inn that night about midnight. Malachi's bag finally shows up there, so that's cool. We finally got his bag back. Um, Friday, we fly out of Ecuador. That was originally supposed to be, I don't remember what time, but it got delayed till 2 p.m. There was one delay for that one. We land in Miami about 7.20, 7.30. Our flight home is at 10.30. We got time to kill. We're supposed to arrive in Jacksonville at midnight. Hear how I say supposed to. Okay. That's a key word there. We get on the plane. And we wait. And we wait. And wait. And then the pilot announces that they're waiting for the first officer to arrive. No problem. I got all night, buddy. But then he makes the suggestion, if you want to deboard the plane, you're more than welcome. Okay, well, if you're telling people they can deboard, that means this plane ain't leaving. So I'm looking at Micah, like, when they tell us this flight's canceled, we need to go rent a car because I don't want to stay in the airport overnight, and I don't want to have to deal with what we dealt with in Miami the first time around where it took us three hours to get a hotel room to sleep for three hours. That doesn't make sense to me. So the pilot makes the announcement, waiting on the first officer. First officer never shows up. They cancel the flight. On my way out of the plane, I looked that pilot dead in his eyes, and I told him I could help. I could be the first officer. He goes, you flew? I said, I just watched the new Top Gun. That's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> so I don't know if y'all have ever been to Miami International Airport, but they really do not want you to rent a car there because it was a triathlon to get to the car rental area. It took 30 minutes just to get over there. And I'm, I know I'm a little, you know, I'm kind of fat, kind of fit, but I don't do a lot of cardio because the wicked flee from evil. I, ain't, I don't flee. Um, so it takes us about 30 minutes to get there. Um, thank you to my wonderful wife, because they were not taking reservation. Like, if you didn't have a reservation, you were not getting a car. So Blair just goes on Expedia and rents a car and sends me the, the confirmation code. And I'm like, one car, please. So we get a car. We get in there. I may have may not broken um, some speeding laws uh, to get back to Jacksonville. Um, I kept going, my uncle's Robert Peck, my uncle's Robert Peck, my uncle's Robert Peck. <laughs> Do you know Sergeant Robert Peck? I'm related to him. So we just wanted to get home. Uh, so we arrive in Jacksonville about 6 a.m. Uh, praise the Lord, only by the grace of God. Uh, and I, I just want to tell you all, just thank you all for, to all who faithfully give to missions and who uh, faithfully prayed for us while we were over there. It was a very eye-opening experience. There, like the IMB says that this place is reached by the gospel. This place is by far not reached by the gospel. And what Gary and Diener are doing are so vital for that community. And just continue to pray for their ministry. It's very hard on Gary right now. Uh, Dina broke her foot uh, a couple months back, and he's kind of having to do everything right now. And that's hard on Dina as well, watching um, Gary having to do everything. Um, so if you ever think about going on the Ecuador mission trip, go. Just go. You, it, you will not regret it. We had all that happen 
and a nine-year-old boy who didn't have a lug his luggage, didn't have anything, didn't have his luggage, and he didn't complain one time. So you can go, and you don't have to complain either, because um, if you complain, you may not be asked to come back. But I look forward to going next year, Lord willing, and, and Lord willing, it's not American Airlines. So, but uh, one of the cool things that happened while we were over there um, was John 3.16 kept being talked about. Like, it kept coming up by various people. Like four or five people talked about John 3.16. Um, you know, I, if you have any church background, you know John 3.16. I mean, according to a quick Google search, John 3.16 is the most popular Bible verse in the Bible. So even if you're new to Bible study, you know John 3.16 in some form or fashion. Um, and that is where we're going to spend our time this morning is in the book of John 3. So I told you I'd be there in a second. I, I'm in a couple minutes. Um, but we're going to read John 3:16 through uh, 21 together, and then we're going to unpack it. Um, if you're able and willing, I'd ask that you stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. And these are the red letters. These are the words of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Least his works should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your only begotten Son. Lord, may our hearts and minds be focused on you. May your truth be revealed. Lord, may hearts and minds be changed today to lean into you more, or may that first step of obedience occur today where they where they believe in their hearts, confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. Be with us in this time. May we make much of you. We love you and we need you. Amen. You may be seated. First thing I want you to see, and this one's going to be, just hang with me a minute. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. See, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Jesus came on a rescue mission to offer life to those who put their faith in him that he is who he says he is. That Jesus is exactly who he says he is. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And praise the Lord for that truth. But God did not send his son to come into the world to be born of a woman to condemn the world. Now some versions say judge. Like I think the NLT says judge. And people who don't believe in scripture will cherry pick that one out and use it to mean something it doesn't mean. Like for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, like, Jesus did not judge, so you shouldn't judge, right? We, we, who are you to judge me? Don't, I, I can live how I want to live. Jesus loves me just the way I am. See, the problem with that, Sally, is that humanity is already judged outside of Jesus, and humanity stands condemned to an eternity of hell already. He didn't condemn the world. The world was already condemned, okay? This is why Bible study matters, Okay, because you will deal with lost people who will Google Bible verses and tell you it means something it never meant. Okay, 
Like Spurgeon said, sound teaching is the best protection from the heresies which ravage right and left among us. See, I believe in my humble yet accurate opinion that the most important words in Scripture are, it is finished. Okay? I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it accounted to me. I know in my heart that he died for my sins, and it is not, who, not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And praise God for that. But I believe the second most important words are, it is written. See, you need to have some of those it is written stored in your heart. So one, you don't sin against God. And two, you actually know scripture. See, Spurgeon, I'm going to quote him quite a bit this morning, uh, also said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. See, meaning the more you get in the scripture, the more scripture gets into us and we abide in God and God abides in us more and more and more. But we're also like that, eh, isn't that supposed to judge? That's not what it means. It's talking about condemnation. How are you supposed to beware and be weary of wolves in sheep's clothing? How can you identify a wolf if, one, you're not looking at everyone and judging whether or not they are a wolf or a sheep? And two, how do you know a person, uh, or, or how do you know what makes a person a wolf? I mean, Paul had to call out Peter. Okay, and Peter's kind of a big deal if you're new to Bible study. Um, but Peter was doing things after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father that were not in line with Jesus. Peter was alienating Gentiles because his Jewish Bible buddies were still eating kosher, and Peter wouldn't sit with the Gentiles because they don't eat kosher because they're Gentiles and bacon is delicious. God even gave Peter a dream in the book of Acts before he even started doing this, telling him not to call things unclean that were from God, essentially. Yet Paul was still not living in line with Jesus. So Paul had to make a judgment call, and he blasted Peter in front of God and everybody for this. Even Peter can make dumb decisions, and, and we can too. But you ever know anybody that made it? Like, we're dumb, right? Like, if we're being honest, we make dumb decisions. We're dumb. And I'm not calling Like, we're all dumb. And we don't condemn people for mistakes. That's the beauty of God's unfathomable grace. But we live in a world that tells you you must accept and love people's dumb decisions. And if you don't, then you're a bigot and everything else under the world. But, like, just look at the, what is this month. It's June, right? Everything's a rainbow right now. Okay? Like, that's literally what this month is all about. But we can't, we're not supposed to be surprised when lost people look and act like lost people. Okay? We live in a lost and depraved world. And they're acting like a lost and depraved world. We're one of the first societies in all of humanity that expect our society to be Christian. Okay, does that make sense? Like, Christians back in the first century did not expect their society to be Christian because it was not Christian. And it's because humans are morally evil outside of Jesus. I don't know if y'all realize that. Now, I know that as soon as I throw that evil word out there, some of y'all are like, that's a little harsh. Well, we're sinful. Yeah, that's okay. If I were to say we make dumb decisions, you'd be like, yeah, that's true. Morally evil? That's taking things a little far, isn't it? Now, I'm not really a bad person. I just make mistakes and have a little sin in my life. Look, I didn't write this. I'm just the messenger. See, if you look at Genesis 8.21, it says, Every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. That's pretty clear. Then you go into the New Testament, Luke 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 11 through 13 about prayer. And he says in verse 13, If you then, though you are evil... Um, 
it is almost, you know, though you are evil, it is almost like we know this. Obviously, you guys are evil. Jesus just assumes that we realize that we are morally evil in Luke 11. Because we're morally evil. Look down in John 3.19 and listen to what the Bible says here. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, I didn't make it up. I'm, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We are spiritually sick people. In Matthew 9.12, we are spiritually sick and we need a doctor. And at the core of who we are, there is terminal malignant disease that is far deeper and far more weighty than any physical disease that we could ever get. We are spiritually sick at the core of who we are. We are slaves to sin, according to John 8.34. Everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. You ever sinned? I have then you are saved to sin. Romans 6, 16, and 20 talk about how we are slaves to sin, um, to that sinful nature, because it's gratifying to the desires of our sinful nature. And 2 Timothy 2, 26 says that we are captive to the devil himself. So that's fun. People outside of Jesus are blinded to truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says we cannot understand the things of God and that they are foolishness to us. The same thing 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this world, little g, of this world, talking about the devil, the adversary, the God of this world has blinded this world of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. Ephesians 4.18 says that our understanding is darkened. It goes on to talk about how we have hearts of stone. We are not receptive to truth. We are blinded to the truth. Matthew 5.8 says we cannot see God. We are lovers of darkness, Ephesians 5.8. You were once darkness, according to Ephesians 5.8. Even in this passage that we have just read, John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. We love darkness. We run from the light. We love darkness. We were once darkness, Ephesians tells us. We are children of wrath. James 4.4 4 and Romans 5.10 both tell us that we are enemies of God. You are an enemy of God. Well, you might be sitting there going, well, I have loved God all my life. No, you haven't. Liar. Sin and again. You may have loved a God that you made up in your mind, but the God of the Bible, you hated. Enemies of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 literally says that we are objects of the wrath of God. It's not a good list. Morally evil, spiritually sick, slaves to sin, blinded to the truth, lovers of darkness, children of wrath, all accumulating in this last one. We are spiritually dead. We are under the sentence of physical death, according to Romans 5.12. Spiritual death, Ephesians 5.14, and eternal death. Romans 6.23 literally says you were dead in your transgressions. See, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2.1. Uh, see, Jesus did not come to condemn because we're already condemned. You can't be more condemned than you're already condemned. So praise the, praise the Lord God came to offer, offer everlasting life. And that is our second truth. Jesus came to offer life. See, Jesus came to offer life and offered abundantly. He came on a rescue mission for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there it is, the clearest explanation of the gospel. God looked down from heaven. God is a father. He's always been a father. He saw us, his children, suffering in our sin, and he couldn't stand to leave us to perish. So he came to earth in search for us, and we killed him. But we didn't realize he was paying our penalty. So that if we believe, just look to him, we'd be saved. 
or the King James Version. I prefer the King James here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His only begotten son. See, the Greek word for only begotten in John 3.16 is uh, monogenes. Y'all don't know if I'm saying that right because I don't either. It is a compound word made of two other Greek words, monos meaning only and kinos meaning kind of race. If we combine these words together, we have only kind or unique is what it means. That is, Jesus is the only begotten son. Since monogenes means unique one, we should understand John 3.16 to mean that Jesus was not a created being. He was the unique son of God the Father. Monogenes does not refer to birth, being conceived, or created. Jesus was not created by God the Father. Jesus has been and always will be. The same as the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was at creation. Now, Pastor Micah talked about that um, earlier when he covered John 1, in the beginning was the Word, because he's begotten, not created. The message of Scripture is that Jesus has been God and will continue to be God for all eternity. Okay? Jesus is God, yet within the Trinity... God the Father declared the second person of the Trinity to be called the Son when he took on human flesh in order to become our Savior. Also, it's important to note that when Jesus says believe, he's just not talking about head knowledge, but almost like a heart knowledge. The Greek word for that is pistuo. You know it in every fiber of your being. You believe it more than anything in your life because just knowing facts isn't enough. Believing in your head isn't enough. This isn't just some fact to memorize. Yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. Believe in facts. Demons believe and tremble because they know Jesus is God. The demons believe Jesus is God. They believe he rose from the dead. Demons were the first to recognize Jesus as God in the Bible. That's a fun fact. You believe? Good job. You're on par with demons. The difference in demonic faith and saving faith is that I have looked to him in desperation and leaned on the weight of my soul on Jesus. See, belief without full surrender is demonic faith. You can write that one down. That's a good line. Belief without full surrender is demonic faith. And I got news for you, Scooter. If you have faith like a demon, you're going to have a fate like a demon. Oh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, you're welcome. Think about this. It's not just praying a prayer that equals believing. People in every religion pray to God to let them into their heaven. We are talking about a cry from the heart, realizing that his finished work is our only hope. And what you get from this belief is God. When you come to Christ, you get God. It's not about health, wealth, and happiness. It's not about streets of gold and mansions and seeing old friends and family members. It's about getting to be in perfect relationship with God for all eternity. That's what we get when we come to God. We get God. And the reason God did all this was because he loved us. Yes, he loves us. And it is for our eternal good, church. We get to be with God for all of eternity. That is for our eternal good. But it's ultimately for his own glory. All right, these two things are not in contradiction with one another. Our eternal good shows his eternal glory. See, the more satisfied we are in him, the more we see and experience his goodness, the more he shows that this is only happening because of him. Our eternal good, his eternal glory, going together. Now, look at John 3, 21 with me. This is a great phrase at the end. But whoever does not, uh, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in 
God? Why is God doing, what is God doing by sending his son on a rescue mission for humanity? He is showing his power. God is showing his glory in this. He is making it clear that only he could have done this. Here's the beauty. When God brings about this transformation, this change of heart, when God reveals our need, enables our belief, what happens is God gets great glory because he takes someone who is spiritually dead and makes them alive. He takes someone who was morally evil, and now they love that which is good. God gets great glory in this whole entire process, church. It is the way it is designed. He transforms us for our good, his glory. Now, I want to talk about the way we perceive salvation from God for a minute. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, you talked about it earlier. You were saying that biblical salvation is not praying a prayer and then going on living like you had no change in your life. That's true. And you might be tempted to say, though, if somebody prays a prayer of salvation and then they got dunked and then you look at their life after that and there's never any difference, then is that person really saved? You may have thought about this in your own life, people's lives around you, family, friends. Is that person really saved when there's absolutely no picture of transformation that began there? Now, I, I want to be very careful in the way that I talk about this. I want to show as much sensitivity as possible because I am in no way claiming that I am the judge of anyone's salvation. That's between you and God. God is the eternal judge. Okay, I believe that we definitely have truths in the Bible that tell us what salvation involves. This is what we are looking at here, and I'm just telling you what Scripture says. And if you're offended by any of this, you can always email me at jimmycrackcornandidontcare.com. Now, I'm not saying in any way that once we pray a prayer that now we have to get a job to do the work to show that this is all real, right? to work to try to earn salvation to make sure it's sealed. It is faith alone and Christ alone through Scripture alone. You can't work your way into heaven. There's not a credit score high enough to meet that requirement. Okay, The mission team taught, I think it was like 300 kids in total, uh, Ecuadorian children, about the Ten Commandments. We cannot perfectly obey the law. If we could perfectly obey the law, then Jesus would not have needed to come. All right? And for some, like I think to the rich young ruler, we think we can obey the law because we haven't physically murdered. Yet Jesus came on earth and he elevated the law. Jesus did not do away with the law. He actually fulfills the law. Like he says things like, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But then he goes on to say, but I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. So we've all thought about murdering someone in here. Every single one of us have because we've all driven in Jacksonville. Okay? See, I drive in Jacksonville, and then i got to go work with Kelly, so it's twice a day at minimum. So, so he does this on the Sermon on the Mount, teaching to his disciples. You have heard, but I say to you. Matthew 5, you should read it. It's pretty awesome. See, Jesus elevates the law, and we cannot keep the commandments before it was elevated, so we can't even work our way into heaven. Okay, it's impossible. That's why he asked for this cup to pass through him if it was. That is not the picture here, but at the same time, I think we can say that with confidence, based on Scripture, that if somebody prays a prayer and there is no transformation that begins at that point, there is no picture of transformation in their lives since then, that that person has not experienced a new birth, that person is not saved. And here's why I believe we can say that based on Scripture. Two things. Number one, nowhere in Scripture do we see salvation described as mere human decision. 
by which somebody decides to get out of line and get, get out of the going, uh, to get out of the line going to hell and then jump into the heaven line. Like, nobody, like, everybody wants to go to heaven, all right? I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, I'm ready for hell, all right? I guess other than ACDC. Um, but that is not how Scripture describes salvation. Scripture describes salvation as jumping um, out of line into another so that you can save your skin. That's not how it is. Remember, demons believe and tremble. See, head knowledge isn't what this is. Scripture describes salvation as a transformative process in our hearts and in our lives where God raises us out of death into life and shows his great glory in our salvation, in our transformation. Which leads to a second thing. When we create this idea of salvation that is disconnected from transformation, when we create this idea that born-again Christian lives look just like non-Christians' lives, what we're saying is, what we are doing is we're blaspheming God. Okay? And we are doing this by saying that God is able to deliver us out of hell, but he's not able to deliver us from our sin in our daily lives on earth. So we're saying that God is able to pay the ultimate price. He can handle our eternity. He can uh, uh, handle our ultimate effect on sin, but he just doesn't have the power to give us victory over sin day by day by day by day. He can handle my eternity, but he can't handle the sins of my life. Make that make sense to me. Folks, listen to me. That, that's just not true. The God who saves us from eternal hell, the God who raised his one and only son from the grave, that God is more powerful to give you victory day after day after day over sin. He is more than good to do that. And what we have done is we have robbed God of the glory he is doing salvation by saying he can do this, he can get me out of hell, but he can't change my life on a daily basis. God will not let us rob his glory in salvation by disconnecting salvation from transformation. This is the picture. It is a process that begins, but it is a transformation that begins when we are born again. So let me ask you, has God transformed your life? Has he transformed your life? Is your life a picture of the glory of God at work, living in the light, so that it may be plain that what is being done has been done through God? Has your life been transformed? Not, have you worked enough to prove that you were saved? Or that you have tried enough to make sure that it is sealed. No, is your life a demonstration of the power of God and the transformation that happened to your heart when he opened your eyes to your need? When he took your heart and cleansed it uh, of your sin and put it, his spirit in you, when he enabled your belief to turn from sin and trust in Christ, has he transformed your life? Have you trusted in that time? No one can enter the kingdom of God, see the kingdom of God, unless he believes, he pastuos, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And you have a choice in life. You always, always have a choice. It's Father's Day. My dad always gave his sons a choice. And he still says it. You can never go on Oprah and cry about how our father never gave us a choice. You were, we were always given a choice. We could either do it one, with a whipping, or we could do it two, without a whipping. And you would be amazed how many times we chose option one over two. But we are always given a choice. All right? And he didn't care which option we picked. He, all, he would prefer option two, but, you know, we're hard-headed. But you have a choice laid before you this morning. You can trust in Jesus, or you can trust in yourself. You can cry out to the Lord, have mercy on me, dear God, a sinner, 
which is the same thing that Charles Spurgeon cried out before he came to know Jesus. Or you can continue to live the life you live already, doing the same things, calling your little mistakes what they are, just mistakes and sin, and it's evil. The biggest lie you can ever tell yourself is, I got this. We can't get to places on time, but we think we got it when it comes to our eternity. You've got to understand, folks, the devil is a liar, and he has convinced too many Christians in this country that if you said a prayer when you were 10 at VBS and got dunked, you're good to go for all eternity. And if you have good health, a nice house, a job that pays well, and a spouse that loves you, then church and being right relationship with the Lord takes a back seat to everything else. That's not how it works. Salvation is about having a relationship with God. We get to be in a one-on-one relationship with the God of the universe. I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty huge deal. Do you have that? Have you put your trust in Christ? That's the ultimate question. I pray and I ask of every single person in this room, every student, every child, every man, every woman, every church attender, every church member, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Has this gospel become a reality in your life? When I ask this question, I realize that there are many people who hear this question and wonder, is this a reality for me? Man, I pray that it is. I pray that it is, but if it isn't, I got some really good news for you. When Jesus said, God so loved the world, you're part of the world. He sent his son to live a life you could not live. And he died a death you should have died. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, then that accounts to you. Now, if this is you and you are ready to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, we would love to have a conversation with you. But I'm going to go ahead and ask Kyle and, and the rest of the band to come up. But y'all go ahead and please stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you sent your only begotten son. Lord, that he did not come to condemn an already condemned world, Lord, but that he came to offer life and he offered it abundantly. Lord, your word says that Jesus offers the abundant life. Lord, being in your will is not easy. I know this to be true from the last week, Lord, but I know that your will is good and it is perfect. Lord, if there is someone in here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that this is the day of their salvation, that they come to know you in a real and personal way. Lord, if if there's anyone in here who does not think that they're in right relationship with you, Lord, that they get in right relationship with you, Or if there's someone in here who claims to be a Christian, Lord, but there's not been a transformation, Lord, that they see that need, Lord, they see the real need for you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you offer salvation to us. Lord, we love you and we need you. Finish this time. Amen.